0: You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts. So this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 135. We are going to be talking about the 1980 film 9 to 5. We watched this on Max, if you have a subscription to Max, you too can enjoy this film for no additional cost.
0: Other than two and a half hours of your life, maybe.
1: <laughs> it wasn't that long. All right, the director is Colin Higgins, who also brought us 1978's Foul Play and 1982's Best Little Horror House in Texas.
0: Oh, you like Dolly.
1: Mm-hmm. And he also wrote this as well as the very famous 1971 Harold and Maude, in addition to the previous films I mentioned, Foul Play and The Bessel Whorehouse in Texas. It stars Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton, and Dabney Coleman. The DP was Ronaldo Villalobos.
0: Villalobos?
1: Villalobos, who also did 1980's Urban Cowboy, 1983's Risky Business, and 1988's Punchline.
0: Isn't that Street Wolf in Spanish, which is a damn cool name? Street Wolf.
1: Lobos? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 In Spanish class in middle school, everybody got assigned their names except for Clint Cates. His brother was Lobo because he was cool. He got to pick his name and Senior Schultz let him. And then when his little brother, who was in my class, came through, he was Lobodos.
0: Okay, and speaking of Spanish, I don't believe I've had a chance to share this one on the podcast before, but this is for our Spanish-speaking listeners. Um, when I was in school, we had to split up in Spanish class for a game, and my team's captain was the captain of the ball team, the quarterback, and when asked what the name of our team was, he proudly said, meaning to say the Ducks, he said, Los Putos. And for our Spanish speakers, that is not the word for duck. (laughs) For your non-Spanish speakers. Yeah, yeah. Los patos (laughs) was what he should have said. Everybody look it up. And the Spanish teacher and I both laughed uproariously because the Spanish teacher spoke Spanish natively, and I grew up in a Spanish-speaking neighborhood, so that was one of the seven words I learned immediately. Counter to what the
1: opening would make you think that this was filmed in New York City, it was filmed... I believe that opening scene was filmed in San Francisco, but then the rest of it was filmed in Glendale, Montrose, and, L- and L.A. surrounding areas.
0: Yeah, the the later scenes where they're driving around, I, I could understand we're in L.A., but those opening shots, I- I'd be stunned if they were in San Francisco even. They look to be exactly New York.
1: No, I agree with you, but when I look up locations, New York wasn't mentioned. So the- it's possible that
0: it was in whoever's...
1: Handling IMDb just didn't include
0: it. Yeah, they do have some some, some errors. I also wonder stock footage, right? But I thought yeah. we saw Dolly in there, so it's hard to say. But it, it very much looked like classic New York downtown footage.
1: Mm-hmm. So the synopsis for this film is three female employees of a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot find a way to turn the tables on him. I've got a few taglines for you. Let me have them. Okay. Getting Even is a full time job. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that describes the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're showing the boss who's the boss. Eh. Oh, I like that one. Okay. <laughs> this isn't making sense. The 25th anniversary special edition DVD, the tagline was sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical, bigot edition.
0: Well, that's what they called the, the Dabney Coleman character. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
1: Which would you rather punch, the clock or your boss?
0: Ooh, that's good. But I still like the first one, the full-time job, because they spend so much effort kidnapping him, basically. Mm -hmm.
1: The Power Behind the Throne. No. No, that
0: one's bad. All right. That's like a documentary for George Stephanopoulos.
1: So the one trivia I'll say right now is it is number 74 on the AFI's American Film Institute's 100th. Funniest movies.
0: I do not believe that is even remotely true.
1: I did remember it having a little bit more comedy. And
0: I think so, it reminded me of Tootsie in the sense that the film wasn't as funny as I remembered, it, 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 meaning that I remember it as being a comedy, but it's really a drama with, with comedic com- moments. But Tootsie was funny. This film was like not funny. At all, I don't think there's a single laugh in this film.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because I mean, not to go down like a political rabbit hole, and I was thinking about this earlier, but I it it feels like it bears mentioning. This was this film came out in what did I say, nineteen eighty, right? Yeah, I meant to look up when the the ERA movement. I believe that was like seventy eight, seventy nine, maybe where they were women were marching for equal rights. And so I think it's almost like we have to go back in time to watch this. But it's interesting because then we had the Me Too movement more recently. So I do think it is interesting. I mean, I think we've come a long way. Dabney Coleman's character, it it wasn't like subtle harassment. It was just <laughs> out and out harassment. Like he wasn't shy.
0: Right. And and I think, though, again, trying not to get too terribly political, but this actually does speak to this. Their solution to him being a jerk is to kill him. And I think there is a misandry that is fundamental to this film that I don't think is funny. But I think a lot of women in the United States right now think killing men is funny. Okay, I was highly distracted when we were watching this, but when
1: Lily poisons him, that's an accident and I thought they just wanted to take advantage of his wife being out of town and so they kind of like kidnapped him to his own home and I didn't feel that the intent was to kill him it was to improve the situation the environment at work and have him be somewhere
0: else while it's happening so we very early on established jolly says i have a gun in my purse right and then they each have very long dream sequences about killing him okay so i think
1: that's what they would that's why i keep saying it because i did watch some footage there was there were more videos on interviews on this film than last week's film and and jane said that i can't remember where she was but it was some corporate location they went and they interviewed all these women the Colin Higgins went with her and they put everybody in a circle and they said, tell us, tell us your stories. And so they all shared all of their stories about their bosses and what horrible things they had done. And then he said, now, what would you like to do? And Jane said that what these women said were far worse than what went in the film. And so I do think that at that time, Once again, that's why I have to say, we have to keep going back to like 1978, 1979. I think women probably were very frustrated and didn't want to kill all men, just wanted to kill their male bosses who were doing these horrible things to them.
0: I think for the last 50 years, uh, women have felt that it was acceptable to promote the use of violence to redress their perceived injustices. And I think if you flipped, well, I'm not saying there were no injustices at all, but I'm saying even the slightest provocation, it's acceptable to hit a man, but if you flip that around, right? Right. And if if Dabney Coleman in the film had done any of the things to them that they do to him, it it wouldn't have landed the same. That's all I'm saying is there's an asymmetry there. I don't know why. So I'm not saying you can't make the film. I'm not saying that women don't feel that way. Maybe they even have a reason to feel that way. I just don't find it funny. Right. So, but he... He wasn't just, I mean, I don't want to start a
1: fight here on the podcast. The listeners (laughs) love this. Let's hope this will be our highly rated show. Yeah. Mike and Christy fight. Um, (laughs) But he was even like in the opening, he was just rude to Lily. Lily's character, Violet. He he was was
0: a fantastic jerk.
1: Yeah. He was just, you know, like, like demanding the coffee and taking, like when
0: he took credit for her idea. And she, and he gave a promotion to an idiot who didn't deserve it. Right. I had a boss who was a woman do that to me. Do I get to dream of killing her for that? Well, you do get to dream of it. Is it funny if I talk about here's how I'm going to kill her? (laughs) I don't think so. I just don't think it's even remotely funny. You could say it's Wish fulfillment, that they have this rage inside them. Totally buy it. I'm not arguing that those feelings didn't make sense narratively. I'm just saying I don't think it's funny. You didn't find it funny.
1: So each of their fantasies had animation, which I think for 1980 (laughs) was kind of...
0: I made a note. How much did the Lily Tomlin animation sequence cost? Mm -hmm. Because that was a lot of cell-drawn. That was hand-drawn animation. Mm -hmm.
1: And then there was some other special effect. Well, the uh, dollies. I, this isn't. This I don't think it was difficult or expensive. But they would like hyper. Like, um, what's it called when they make it go faster?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, who were recording this at the end of a long motion? Day? I don't know.
1: Yeah, they sped up the the footage, and so it it had different elements. In for each of their fantasies, and I didn't remember them being as long as they were. Like, I even found myself like,
0: okay, okay, we got it. Yeah, Act 2 really drags, and I made a specific note that those dream sequences were way, and I used many A's, way (laughs) too long.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you there. I thought one thing that was kind of funny, because it's not so timely, like last week we were talking about what would early 20s kids kind of (laughs) associate and yeah. the wife when she brings the cruise ship the trip that she wants her husband <laughs> to go on that she goes on alone she says look doesn't it just look like the love boat <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> I thought, oh that that reference would get
0: uh, okay and i'm, I'm going to support that evidence because uh it was probably more than 10 it was maybe 15 years ago um we had an intern and i made a comment that i was acting as julie mccoy cruise director and she had no clue who I was talking about. No like, how do you not know who Julie McCoy is? She's on the love boat. Again, blink, blink. Yeah. Were you mean Rebecca Romaine? <laughs> yeah, that, that show even was on at the time. It was right. a complete fail.
1: Copy machine failure. Come on, little cliche.
0: It was cliche. I did make a note. Who in the art department managed to get it to misbehave like that, and were Xerox upset? Because they didn't want their product to look like it, it couldn't be operated.
1: Speaking of Xerox, I'm going to bounce it forward a little bit to sets. Did you notice that it was called the Xerox room? And I think if you had that job, yeah. you were called the Xerox girl. Yes. So it's very much Xerox is the Kleenex of right. copy machines.
0: And often in marketing, they use both of those as examples of people who didn't defend their brand, which to me, deserves a throat punch. Anybody who talks about defending the brand, I actually think it's fantastic that we call it Xerox, even if it's a Canon, right? Right. But again, I don't think the twenty-year-olds call it a Xerox, Xerox anymore, anymore. If they even do well, that, yeah.
1: Do they even have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just
0: email it to me. Yeah, I'm the fax and copy girl.
1: Right now, you mentioned Lee threatening. Now she wasn't yeah. going to kill him. She just said, if you make one more
0: pass at me, I will take that gun and change you from a rooster to a hand. Which is a, f- <laughs> I guess, okay, that might be a funny line. That may be the, the the comedy line in the film. Yes, and I think given what we've seen, I certainly support her, well, you know, having very extreme feelings about fixing that. Because he is, there. there's a, a, a scene which, I I feel like she probably would have seen coming given their established relationship where he arranges his desk so he can push the, the box of pencils over and she get bends down to get it. And we actually do have, I made a note of this in cinematography, there is a downblow shot. And so for the listeners who are not familiar, Dolly Parton is a larger busted lady and she was kind of famous for that. And in the film, the costuming emphasizes that to a great degree. And for that particular scene that they did have was fairly gratuitous, a downblow shot. Hopefully it was consensual on her part, but that guy was a scumbag. Now, getting back to earlier, right, that is not a perceived slight. I knew women at that time who encountered that behavior from their boss.
1: Well, not only that, you had a teacher in high school who would, like, wouldn't he knock pencils off or something for girls to pick up or well,
0: something? Well, um, he, he put the pretty girls in the, in the front row, and then at the beginning of class, he would tell everyone, read in your books for five minutes, and then he'd go stand outside and watch the girls do jumping jacks in, in PE class. So... Very creepy. Yeah. But I... So I want to say, not saying that that didn't happen, I know for a fact that behavior was not exaggerated. There were people who did feel that was acceptable in some weird way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what is she going to do? And I think that the film establishes, again, not very comedic to me, but realistic that they needed their jobs, right? That was fundamentally, and there's even a line where after the Lily Tomlin character thinks she's killed him with rat poison, her, her concern is, I killed the boss. You think they're not going to fire me for a thing like that? That was the first thing that she worried about, not like that I killed a man I might go to prison for this. Right. So I I thought that was realistic to show that they were kind of like wage slaves and in particular, the the women in the office with this, this scumbag character. Now, interestingly, the trivia I read somewhere said that unfortunately, Dabney Coleman got typecast because of this role. And so for many, many years, he only played... The kind of creepy, oh wow, idiot now, boss character.
1: In one of my interviews, I found Dolly said he was lovely. He was a wonderful yeah. actor to work alongside. She, I believe, everybody, everybody him.
0: liked him. He just got kind of typecast like that. But it's interesting because I, I going the other way. I think if you know Leslie Nielsen early in his career was a leading man, and then he made a comedic film, and then that was he was like the buffoon. Yeah, very so, well,
1: he did it very well.
0: Yeah, and and hopefully both of them were enjoyed their work, but they were kind of typecast because of this role, at least for Dabney Coleman, who, by the way, has a fun name. I, I don't think I've ever met another Dabney.
1: No, you're right. It's a very yeah. unique name. Yeah, yeah. Dora Lee's fantasy, where she kind of is the one... Oh, well, she kind of completely flips the script, yeah. and she sexually harasses him (laughs) right so it reminds me of a film that is out right now that of this of this flipping and inverting the treatment of someone and it's interesting because it i feel like in nine to five it acts in a how would you like to be treated this way kind of as an informative thing rather than that's really like i don't believe that dora lee's character wants to sexually be with dabney coleman right or even like yeah. treat him poorly in a sexual oh, well, way there's a better way to say that but sorry guys and so i think it's just kind of like what if it was this way we wouldn't you guys wouldn't like that either is what these women are saying and and they're reliving kind of like what if we were
0: in the power position right and, and i don't think it, it it shows in a particularly good light but but it, I feel like it's a common reaction. Like I mean, I think anybody. Well, well, you you could argue that Franklin Hart, the Dabney Coleman character, is also a common reaction. Doesn't mean it's it's good, right?
1: Oh, you mean him being in a power position, kind of?
0: Yeah, I think when you give anyone power, male or female, they could th- they can it. misbehave, right? Right, because not
1: all men in the nineteen seventies were Cretans.
0: In fact, the vast majority weren't. Right. I, well, think I don't know. I wasn't. If you, well, I think statistically we know, because uh, otherwise there would have like been a ago. lot more Lorena Bobbits. But anyway, right. what I was getting at was that if you're not mature, right, mm-hmm. and you're put in power, imagine if you give a five-year-old a wallet, <laughs> let's say, right? Um, what happens? Uh, and and I think that's what this, this character is. And it, there aren't many other male characters in the film, but that the ladies interact with. But if you you see them, they're not treating them lecherously.
1: Right. In fact, I thought it was, and I forgot this scene. I forgot, you're right. Like you said, there weren't many other men, but we meet Dolly's husband in the film. Right. And he's a very sweet man. He's Mm -hmm. like writing a love song for her. And when she's saying how, which I thought this was interesting, that Dora Lee's character, or Dora Lee is being almost mistreated by both men and women because Dabney is his Mr. Mm -hmm. Hart's character. Mr. Hart is treating her poorly by making these advances. And then because of the treatment she's getting, the other ladies in the office feel like they're having an affair. And so they shun her because they feel like she's the floozy and how dare she, Mm -hmm. he's a married man and she's married and he's the boss. So you shouldn't be sleeping with him. So anyway, so Doralee is talking to her husband and she's saying, I think they think I'm just a dumb floozy and he's, and he's so sweet and supportive. He doesn't, at first he says, honey, you're not, or he's, he affirms like her feelings and then says, well, then they're not your friends or he's Mm -hmm. very supportive.
0: And, um, I just thought of this while you were talking, but it is a, a neat twist. The police officer doesn't question that Lily Tomlin is a doctor, right? So, right, good point. I, I do think that, you know, Dabney Coleman's character, Franklin Hart, is supposed to be uh, a stinker. And then we see at the end of the film, the big boss man sends him to Brazil against his wishes. So, uh, to me, I interpreted that as the boss is like, oh, this guy's, you know. It, but isn't
1: that interesting that he it feels very Catholic church? Like, we're not going to fire him. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, <laughs> let's just send him somewhere else office. where he could be horrible. Right,
0: right. We'll just shuffle him around Jeez, a bit. Come yeah. on. Yeah. No.
1: Okay. So moving on. I have a note that I wrote this when Jane Fonda was having her. Oh, no, it wasn't her fantasy, but she did use a firearm in her fantasy. Poor firearm usage. <laughs> yeah. When she has, when she grabs Doralee's handgun.
0: snub nose revolver of some Judy, sort.
1: Judy grabs Doralee's handgun and
0: closes her eyes while mm-hmm. she shoots out the door of his office. Into where her friends are and basically the, the open office area. <laughs> now, they did say that it was late in the day, but... Still very poor. Eddie very the Eagle poor. would not approve.
1: No, not good firearm usage. You
0: should never close your eyes when shooting a right. firearm. I would also um say if you feel like you need to pack a revolver in your purse, then maybe take a second to think about why that is. I was a I th- I thought it was odd that Dora Lee was packing heat, and this was, and then she has a story about how she like accidentally shot something, and it it's like. Really poor gun safety.
1: Yes, yes. Now, Dorley's character is from Texas.
0: So, uh, well,
1: <laughs> I think she grew up with a firearm that her daddy gave her. Or okay. Uh,
0: Superfan Ernie and other Texas <laughs> residents, please send in. Send um, in. How common are snub nosed revolvers in ladies' persons in, in Texas? In, yeah, in the workplace.
1: Oh, I liked how early in the film, when we're meeting the characters and we see that Violet is a single mom of like four or five kids, she's fixing the garage door opener. So that shows us that she's mm-hmm. very adept with mechanics right. and different things. And then that, that, in and, and I joked with you, I said, if there's a garage <laughs> yeah. door in the first act, then it will appear in the second act as a way to hoist Mr. Hart right. up to the ceiling.
0: And so I made note of that as Chekhov's garage door opener, <laughs> yeah. which is um, pretty good. Also, at that point, notice her son, they used that as an opportunity to introduce that her son was a stoner, and so the joint comes in later in the film. So, Which good writing. Which is interesting,
1: because she, for 1980, I feel like Pot was not, I mean, I know everybody was, or not everybody, but a, not quite a fair amount of the, um, I mean, we it was through the widely 60s and available. 70s. It was available, but it wasn't as, I felt like as a mom- knew her teenage son was smoking pot, she was very kind of laissez-faire for 1980. I'll just say that.
0: Well, that's a good question. Certainly the families we grew up in would not have taken that as lightly as she did. So I don't know, but maybe if, you know, hippie parents, maybe they're like, all that's right, true. man. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good. Question. I was just a square in high school.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just went with my friends to buy it. I didn't buy it. <laughs> I really, really didn't. I didn't even... Put it in my mouth, like, let alone right. in, not inhale. So I was a goody 2
0: I, I, re- I really don't understand the defense if I didn't inhale. What else were you doing with the bong, <laughs> right? Is this a type of soaking for... <laughs> for oh, that's awesome. <laughs> soaking for weed. For, yeah. Yeah. I, I just put the joint at my lips, but I did not inhale. <laughs> we all knew it was horse. Bleep. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Okay. Uh, Before we go on, how about, uh, was there anything in the cinematography and the writing and the
0: editing that you made note of? Well, from the cinematography, we have the community to work montage, which we talked about lots and lots of feet there. I don't know if there's a foot fetish involved Mm -hmm. there. So I thought it was great that there's a shot of in the opening sequence of a storefront with, I think, three metronomes. And they're going back and forth, and it matches the tempo of Dolly Parton's song that's playing.
1: So, a couple things that I found, I'll just add them here. One of them is Dolly. <laughs> she mentioned, I thought this was cute. So, first of all, she, this was her first movie; she'd never been on a film set before. She memorized the entire script. She yeah, did. This is awesome. Just memorized her lines. She memorized everyone's lines because she didn't know she wasn't supposed to. And then she said, "You know." there's just a lot of nothing to do on this. Set. <laughs> yeah. She said, there's so much downtime. Like I would, she, she's a worker. So when she's not on a movie, you Dolly apparently is just working. She says from the moment she gets up until her head hits a pillow. So for her being on a movie set was, you could tell frustrating. She goes, I read more books. I wrote so many songs and she wrote the theme song. And so she just was on set she told Jane, Jane asked her if she would be in this film and she said, yes, if I can write the theme song. And so Jane, of course, said yes. So she would be on set and she would just be watching and paying attention to everything and taking in the, the characters. And she had her long nails. And so she just kind of rubbed them up against one another. And she, to her, it sounded like the clicking and clacketing of the typewriters. Right. And so that's where she kind of got the and so that metronome kind of just enhanced, I think, the beat of that song, which is
0: a great song. It is a really good song. I, I, but you mentioned the nails. And, and so as part of my notes, and I actually do a tiny bit of research after normally, by the way, for this is a peek behind the curtain, Christy does tons of research before during, and after the film. I generally don't. Um, I, I sit there, I crack wise, I make my notes, and at the end, I'm pretty much done. But in this case, I did a little bit of research, and I wanted to, to make a callback in an old-timey way, because I'm an old dude now, and I I had a moment where I had to look it up. What we would say in th- when this movie was made in 1980, we would have called those nails probably, at least us boys, Fu Manchu nails, because there was a character called Dr. Fu Manchu or something. He was a villain. And I just had an instinct. And so I looked it up, and it turns out that character was written by a white guy, and the actual Chinese folk don't really care for that characterization too much. So we probably shouldn't call them that. But I did make note of those super long nails, and my note, though, was how could you possibly type with those? But was that, and I have another note from the costume department, was that them show don't tell showing that she wasn't really expected to do her job she's just there to sit still and look pretty
1: that may have been why she was hired but i feel like dora lee anybody who has those nails figures out how to get around them okay fair uh i remember people with nail- long nails and like opening a soda with like a butter knife or a quarter or a spoon like you know you just you figure out and so yeah. i think she would have typed with the tips of them, I think she would have gotten her job done. She just figures out how to do them. Or you don't have them because right, if you can't, right. if you can't cook, if you can't eat, if you can't go to the bathroom,
0: um, you right. you get rid of them. Although now as I think about it, how did she get that the index in the guard for her revolver? <laughs> well, but um, she figured it out. The other costuming note I have, which I really really like, so I wish I could find the um, head costume person from this film, and, and give him or her a good hearty handshake. Franklin Hart, played by Dabney Coleman, is obsessed with appearance, and they have this little thing that Roz, the office weenie, says, like, I, you know, a, a clean workspace isn't efficient, or she has some sing-song thing about appearance. And then the first shot where we see Franklin Hart, one of his collars is popped out and when i in the first shot i saw it i was like oh perhaps that was an accident right but it was throughout the entire scene and i thought oh so brilliant that they show his hypocrisy with his clothing yeah ah uh, i total hearty handshake to whoever's behind that good <laughs> choice
1: awesome all right anything else before we
0: move on uh, was there any head trauma in this film there there are two two moments I noted. One is when Doralie hog ties Franklin during her dream sequence. I'm gonna go ahead and say when she kind of pulls him down like a calf, he maybe hit his head on the way down. And then he definitely hits his head when he falls backward in his chair. That's the inciting incident for Lily Tomlin's character thinking she killed him, but he hits his head and he knocks himself out.
1: Yeah. How about a smooch? I don't believe there was a
0: Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Doralee's husband and Doralee smooch early in the film. Yes. And it is tender. Yes, it is sweet. And then how about a driving review? All right. So there's a couple, a couple things here. Early on, this is great filmmaking because when Violet, played by Lily Tomlin, gets home to find her ex-husband there delivering the divorce papers, they uh, do a two-shot. She's kind of at the base of the stairs and he's at the top. And when they cut to... His view, pointing down at her, behind her is a red 79 Fiat Spider 2000 convertible. It's the only car visible on the street in her background, but it says midlife crisis. In 1980, there was probably no more midlife crisis-y car, right, than some little Italian convertible. And I'll be honest, I couldn't see the, the hussy that it was his secretary that he ran away with in the car, but dialogue implies she's there. Yep. Then... Violet is driving a light blue 69 Buick Skylark Custom, which I actually think is spot on for that character. It's an 11-year-old car. It's huge. So she can pack all of her kids in it. She can put a garage door opener in it when she has to buy it at the hardware store. That is actually a pretty, I think a pretty accurate car um, for her. And you can see that there's enough room in the trunk for a dead body, which is always important in a vehicle. Make sure you can carry around your dead bodies but (laughs) you see in several shots incredibly soft suspension which again makes sense for a family car right they weren't really trying to drive at Le Mans they were just carrying (laughs) dead bodies around LA there was a little bit of a continuity problem I had there's a scene where I believe this is with the aforementioned dead body in the trunk she's driving and the exterior shots are of that Skylark making some pretty extreme turns. And the interiors, Lily Tomlin puts in maybe, maybe 90 degrees of steering angle. And there's no way a 1969 Buick Skylocker is going to turn that hard with that little steering input.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because there is a video that I will um, add to our show notes, writing my end note right now. At one point, the three of them in a car, and I'm pretty sure... They're, you know, on a sound stage, and at what, and you see the light kind of like move and she breaks character and she says, well, you got to tell me so that I can react. Right. And I think that that was that turn. And I think that they had trouble lining up those yeah. things. So that's funny.
0: So I don't know the specifics of that vehicle, but I think at that era, especially Consumer cars were about three, three and a half turns lock to lock. Mm -hmm. So she would have had to really, she would have had to cross over a little bit to get that much turn. Right. And my last note in automotive was Dora Lee drives this gold 76 Chevy Love pickup, which is really just a rebadged Isuzu. She's from Texas. In 1980, I don't think she drives a pickup that small. If she drives a pickup, she's driving like a Ford. Yep. Or Dodge Power Wagon would be a really good choice. Yeah. So that was, I thought that was a little odd choice. I'm not sure why they did that. Yeah, that was... was Maybe it was the only truck they could get. Should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers.
1: This film had a budget of $10 million. It made 103.3 million. Whoa, 10X. Yeah. It was a huge hit in 1980. I think, I'm sorry, I understand what you're saying, but I think it was like an anthem for... A lot of people kind of like oh shoot my my analogy would be funnier if I can remember what what was the Sally field one for unions Norma Ray yeah Norma Ray was like that for the union workers kind of
0: except the union workers didn't try to kill people no. <laughs> sorry it's just a little dark as a person who falls on the male end of their their firing yeah. line it's a little rough it's, it's rough okay.
1: So adjusted for today, that would be like a movie making
0: 341.5. Yeah. Million. And that's, that's, so, that's huge, huge box office. Yeah.
1: So this was huge. And I will say that there has been talks of a sequel, even as of like five years ago, I think with the success of Grace and Frankie on Netflix with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, they, you know, people want to see all three of them together again. And so there is a script Rashida Jones has been brought in to work on the script. I don't know what the status is uh, of it is today, but I think it would be interesting at least to see. And would, would these women be in it? I guess they would have to be in it as themselves, or would it be kind of like an ocean's 11 where we just, I guess you would have to reference them and people want them to be, but I feel like it would be like their daughters experiencing it
0: or something. You don't, you think like, I I think given how many people including film professors watched 80 for Brady that movie would make serious bank.
1: Right, in book club. And so but you can't have I mean Jane she looks fantastic but she's in her 80s. She wouldn't be in the workforce. So I feel like she would be mentoring maybe a younger set who are facing Right, but some challenges. Uh, the problem
0: is it's a different world. They, they may face uh, some challenges that are similar, but I don't think most of the issues that they were dealing with, those characters were dealing with in 1980 are translate to the experience today. Right. Uh, So it would be interesting to see that it can, you get a script that makes sense of that. But again, I think from the business of show, it kind of doesn't matter, right? Eighty for Brady was not up for a screenplay Oscar. It's just a film that they put people in that people like to watch, right? I I, I waxed philosophic about Minute Work, and that is also not not, not considered like today. yeah. And, and so, is there a way to make a sequel? I don't think so. I don't see it, but I'd love to see them if they can pull it off. Go for it! I, yeah, I definitely would love to see those three together again. But, I, I don't know if I'd watch it, but I'm curious to see how they could, how they like, would do how it. would you do that narrative, right?
1: IMDb gives it a 6.9 out of 10. Rotten Tomato critics give it a 69%, while audiences liked it a little bit more at 74%. It did take an hour and 49 minutes for us to watch it. It's rated PG. It's labeled as a comedy. It is a 20th century fox.
0: Sorry, uh, for the listeners at home, I was vigorously <laughs> shaking my head no To it being listed as a comedy. I don't think it's a comedy.
1: (laughs) Noted. It's a 20th century Fox film. Dolly Parton was nominated for the song 9 to 5 for Oscar in 81 and a Golden Globe. And she won a Grammy for Best Song and Best Performance that year. And she also won a People's Choice Award for Favorite Song. It was, I mean, to this day, you put it on and people, I feel... (laughs) people sing along i'll i'm sure there's i mean everybody can look it up but i'll put a link to the
0: video on youtube so i i want to say dolly parton i think is a fantastic songwriter i had no problem with her acting in this or in steel magnolias
1: i thought she did fantastic this is her first film
0: yeah i really did too but i i think more than anything just uh, i don't use this ironically a national treasure just What a fantastic musician and singer. So that, to me, is the highlight of this film. Not just even the song, but just Dolly Parton is to me.
1: I know that on Max, also, there's a Jane Fonda documentary. I will look up... There's a Dolly documentary that I watch. I think it's also... Oh, it's on Netflix, I think. It's fantastic. It talks about all of her work with literacy in her state, as well as others. She is a true hero, I think. I mean, a legend, like you said. So I'll have to look and see if there's a Lily Dock just to
0: to get the trifecta. I, I think there is. I think after she came out, there there was a dock. I, I will say that when Dolly goes to the big Dollywood in the sky, it will be a sad day. Very sad. Right. Very sad. Um. I I'll be honest. Little Misty, I just thinking about mm-hmm. it. Uh. Really, really appreciate uh, her work. So, mm-hmm. highlight of this film for me.
1: Yes and she's a triple threat. She has written books. I believe she's written a movie. Clearly a legend in music, the music industry and and then the films like you said and she's gone on to I think star in some of I I thought she didn't she star in a Hallmark film
0: uh, or she had a series of either movies or like hour long specials yeah. I thought. Yeah.
1: So that wraps us up for this third film for september please send in your guests email me with your guest at christy at dodge media but never ever ever
0: forget dodges never stop and neither do the movies thanks for listening to dodge movie podcast with christy and mike dodge of dodge media productions to find out more about this podcast and what we do go to dodge media productions.com subscribe share leave a comment and tell us what we should watch next Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.